All right. It's good to see everybody today. Um, remember that we are on break after today. We come back in January. And um, one of the things about that is how thankful we are that we have made it this far and we're all here safely and we've been able to continue together. So we pray that that will continue in um, the new year. So last week, as we studied chapters 9 and 10, Jesus admonished his followers to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him, take up their cross daily and follow him. We were reminded that we are to do the same. We are to count the cost of following Jesus and to be wholly committed to doing so. We were warned against divided commitment, procrastination, and against longing for what we have left behind. Carol reminded us that we need steely commitment and God's mercy in order to follow Jesus. God provides us ridiculous grace, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the power and the authority to proclaim the gospel. As we finished in chapter 10, we were introduced to two ladies, Martha and Mary. It's interesting to me that there are only four short verses here about Martha and Mary. And yet, there have been volumes of books written about them. The phrase, how to be a Mary in a Martha world, resonates with me and with women everywhere. We saw that Martha was busy with the demands of the day, and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. In Luke 10, 42, Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. As I prepared to teach chapter 11, this story and instruction stuck in my mind. I like, Mar I, like Martha, have many daily distractions, and a lot of those are good distractions. But I must turn my eye to the eternal things of Jesus and listen to his teachings. In Luke 8.18, we are given the warning to take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. As we look to chapter 11 today, I want to encourage us to be a Mary as we hear what God has for us. Distractions abound, especially during this time of year and all that we've been facing in 2020. But the better thing is to listen to what Jesus has to say, being careful how we hear that. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you today. We praise you for your holiness. We praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your grace. We thank you that you have been so kind to us to give us your word, to study, and to learn, Lord. We thank you particularly that in this semester, in this society and culture that we live in, that you have protected us and kept us safe from harm. Lord, we... Um, Pray that that would continue as we dive into this chapter today, Lord, as we dive into the way we're supposed to relate to you, I pray that your, your words would be coming out of my mouth, Lord, and if you would change my words, need to change my words for any reason, do so so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 11 opens with Jesus praying in a certain place. I can't help but think that the disciples were still pondering what he was talking about um, to Martha and choosing the better things. I think, you know, the disciples to this point have been busy tending to what Jesus has told them to do, taking care of people and that sort of thing. And I think that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I think 
I, I don't have any scriptural basis for this. This is my thought process. I think the disciples probably listened to him praying and heard him praying, maybe a little bit differently than they had before. So one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, they had been witnesses to him praying throughout their time with him, and they had to have noticed that the way he prayed was different than the way they had grown up praying. So this time, one of them, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, just as John, referring to John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. It was common for prophets to teach their followers how to pray. So let's look at, look at Luke 2 through 4. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Prayer and praise is one of the major themes that Sue encouraged us to look at, look for as we studied Luke. Here, along with the disciples, we receive beautiful instructions straight from Jesus on how to pray. We're all familiar with prayer. We pray here in our groups and in dark, during our time of teaching. We've already prayed twice, and we've only been here about 10 minutes this morning. So we're all very familiar with prayer. But I think sometimes because it is something that we are so familiar with, it benefits us to return to what Jesus taught us regarding prayer. These verses give us a guide to corporate prayer. Remember the terms used are us, give us this day our daily bread. But it is also a guide on how we should pray individually. Matthew 6, 5, 6 instructs us, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Both corporate and personal prayer are essential to the believer, but neither are to be done to be seen by others. They are to approach the throne of God corporately and personally. Jesus tells us to begin our prayer by addressing the one true God who he instructs us to call Father. Our salutation or our address is important, and Father is one salutation that we can use as we approach the throne. We should be mindful of our salutation, remembering that prayer is to be addressed to God alone. R.C. Sproul tells us that prayer is to be addressed to God alone, either to God as the triune or to the distinct persons of the Godhead. To pay to creatures or the created is idolatry. Let's look at the term father for a moment. Father, the term father describes the relationship we have with God. We are his children. We have access to God through Jesus as those children. We have been adopted as his children, and we have the rights and privileges and responsibilities of children of God. God is to be addressed in reverence and sincerity. We must always remember to whom we are speaking. We are speaking to the creator of the universe. We are speaking to our sovereign God. We are to approach God with sincerity, entering his presence in full recognition of who he is, and we can call him Father. The acknowledgement of God as our Father leads us to approach him in humility, remembering who he is 
and who we are. We are sinful creatures. Adopted as children, approaching the throne of God, and he invites us to come boldly, but not arrogantly. After addressing God, teaching us to address God, Jesus immediately leads us to remember who he is. In verse 2, hallowed be your name. As you saw in your cross-references for this week, hallowed means made holy or reverenced. This word sums up all of God's character and attributes. It is not a request. We are not asking that God's name be hallowed. We are acknowledging that his name is hallowed. We are acknowledging who he is. This is the acknowledgement of the believer that God is supreme. You may have also heard it referred to as adoration. What better place to begin to address our sovereign God than with adoration for who he is? We are in our study this year looking for attributes of God as we study his word. And those are wonderful places to begin as we pray to God and express our adoration. In doing so, our posture of prayer focuses on God rather than on ourselves. Jesus moves on, thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God has been another major theme throughout the book of Luke. R.C. Sproul says, at the heart of this theme is the idea of God's messianic kingdom. It is a kingdom that will be ruled by God's appointed Messiah, who will not be just the redeemer of his people, but their king. We will learn more about this in chapter 17 of Luke, but for now, at this point in Luke, the Messiah has arrived, and he has an eye towards Jerusalem, or the cross, as we see in Luke 9.51. As Jesus completes his work on earth, we begin to live in the already and the not yet kingdom of God. Again, we'll continue to learn more about that when we return next semester. But as we approach this break, I think it'll be beneficial for us to remember some of what we've already learned about the kingdom of God. In Luke 4.43, we learned that Jesus was sent for the purpose of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. In Luke 6.20, we learned that Jesus teaches disciples and his followers that blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In Luke 7.28, we find Jesus talking to the crowds about John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Luke 8.21, Jesus was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God as he traveled through cities and villages. Luke 8.10, Jesus has been teaching the parable of the sowers, and he responds to the question his disciples ask him about the parable. So to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. In Luke 9 and 10, Jesus sent the disciples and 72 others out to proclaim the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, 27, Jesus spoke to the crowds of Bethsaida, but I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. In Luke 10, 9 and 11, Jesus instructs his disciples to heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We serve a king, Jesus, who has already been enthroned. Yet that king, Jesus, implores us to ask God for his kingdom to come, which is the time when Jesus will triumphantly return in glory and every knee shall bow before him. 
In the parallel passage found in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, Matthew includes the phrase, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're familiar with this phrase as it is included when we as a church corporately pray together. Luke does not include this phrase, and it's really not clear why. But there is the thought that perhaps Jesus taught this prayer at two different times, that he taught it twice, and Luke's giving the time that he was talking to his disciples. As we come to know Jesus more and more and grow to recognize who he is and who we are, our longing for this finished work only increases. In days of trial, we find ourselves longing for the acknowledged reign of God. Prayer is a means that God uses to bring his sovereign will to pass. As we pray, we tend to focus on things that we want or think we need. And we should take those requests to God. We are told to take those requests to God. But overshadowing those requests should always be the acknowledgement that those desires and needs be brought into line with the will of God. We submit to God's will, and we should do that as we pray. Luke 3 returning back to Luke 11 from Matthew, Luke eleven three, tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In this, we acknowledge that God is our provider. This day is singular. We are to live in a constant present. We are not to be looking for future provision for a lengthy time, which would lend itself to us forgetting from whom the provision came. When we plan too far out in the future, we get comfortable with our own self-sufficiency and fail to recognize God as our daily provider. Turning our, pray- our mind towards that in prayer keeps it in the forefront of our minds. As Christians, we live in a constant state of continual dependence on God. I am reminded of the manna that was provided for the Israelites as they wandered the desert. As they were wandering, God provided manna for them on a daily basis. They were instructed to only collect what they needed for that day. When they over-collected, the manna rotted and was filled with maggots. Maggots. God provides us exactly what we need. And not just physical food and water. God provides us what we need in every situation. The thought came to my mind that if we are praying with this posture, give us this day our daily bread, that our worry and our tendency to worry, I don't know about you women, but this woman can have a tendency to worry and play the scenario out in my mind over and over again. And tomorrow it's going to look like this. And then by Thursday, it'll look like this. And probably next week, it'll look like this. God gives us what we need for that day. And we are to find our contentment in that. We are instructed not to worry, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So if we truly see God as our provider, then our worry will reduce. That might be a little thermometer to how you're doing in that area. Jesus instructed us in prayer to remember who God is, and now we are reminded, wait a minute, sorry, got excited. Verse (laughs) 4 tells us to forgive our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus instructed us in prayer to remember who God is 
And now we're reminded of who we are. We are sinners in need of a Savior. This is our confession. We need, and God provided, forgiveness for our sins. And in the power of his Holy Spirit, he enables us to forgive others who have sinned against us. Hendrickson says, an unforgiving heart is not a heart that can accept forgiveness. And this is not a direct quote, but Jimmy Young has said, one who has tasted the true forgiveness of Jesus cannot help but forgive others. Continuing in verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. In the parallel passage in Matthew 6, verse 13 includes the phrase, but deliver us from evil. This is supplication. The definition of supplication is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. We've already talked about coming to the Lord in humility, recognizing who he is. We've just been reminded of who we are. And in this phrase, we are instructed to use it so that we never forget our weakness. We are prone to give way to the temptations of the world. And we are praying earnestly to be delivered from them. We will be delivered from all of these temptations when the kingdom of God is completely fulfilled. Even as we ask to be delivered from temptation, we should remember that God does not tempt us. We see this in James 1.13. Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God does, however, deliver us from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, no temptation has overtaken you that it is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In response to the disciples' question, Jesus continues in verses 5 through 12 by sharing a parable that encourages those who come before the Lord in prayer to do so with boldness and anticipation. On the first read, impudence sounds a little negative. But the true meaning of impudence is in this situation is a boldness and a confidence. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Luke 11.10 says, For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus has given the disciples and us a model for how we are to approach the throne of God. An easy way for us to remember this, and you've probably heard this before, but again, I think it benefits us to be reminded, is the acronym ACTS. A is for adoration, remembering who God is. C is for confession, remembering who we are. T is for thanksgiving, recognizing what God has done for us. And S is for supplication, asking for our needs and wants while understanding God's promise in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. As we finish the semester, I can't help but anticipate what else God has for us when we return. In the meantime, while we do not gather and we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, I want to challenge you. We all easily get caught up in what we see as the important things. Will you choose to be like Mary and hear what Jesus has taught you this semester and go about your days picking up your cross, 
denying yourself and following him? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.